Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Our mission as a church is to uh, connect real people to the real God, and I want to thank uh, all of you for helping us do that this morning, the worship team and scripture reader and everyone else. Uh, what a joy to be together. It was a bummer to not be together last week. Um, I, I think it was the right thing to do, but hopefully, uh, uh, anyway, it was, it was, it's good to be back together and uh, worshiping the Lord here in, in community. Uh, that is our text this morning, uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And uh, we will jump right into it as soon as I pray. One quick reminder, I think Lee mentioned this earlier, but we did just want to highlight the uh, annual business meeting next Sunday. So next Sunday, uh, come prepared to stay a little longer. Uh, we, you know, and I'll, do, I'll, I'll try to go a little shorter, I promise. But uh, after church, we'll have a, a lunch available so you don't have to sit through a meeting hungry. And that's a, it's a soup luncheon. Um, Paul and the student ministry are, are organizing that. It's actually a fundraiser, so if you'd like to give a, a donation and thank them for their work, that'll go toward the challenge conference uh, in the summer, the youth ministry conference, the student ministry conference that our church participates in. Um, and then after that, we'll kind of hurry through lunch so we can get to the business meeting, approve budget for the new year. It's kind of our annual. If you only go to one business meeting a year, this is the one to go to. So please plan on that next Sunday. There are uh, reports available. There's a report booklet available, which they're in the fellowship hall on a table. Um, look, f- they're, I think they're to the right as you step out of the auditorium. So I encourage, encourage you to grab one of those, you know, one for family, per family, unless you really, you know, if your husband doesn't share, if he hogs the annual report. Uh, you can get your own or your wife likes to hog it. So anyway, enough of that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We are so honored to be your people and to be uh, the people, a people, the people of the book. Uh, what a joy for us and what an encouragement and a comfort. And so I just want to ask you now to speak to us, speak uh, to each and every one of us, including me through the words of scripture this morning. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to be our instructor, our teacher, uh, our guide, the one who convicts us, encourages, and comforts us in everything else that we need. We thank you. And we look to you now, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The story is told of a shoplifter who wrote a letter to a department store. The letter said, I've been stealing from your store. However, I've become a Christian, and now I find that I can't sleep at night anymore because I feel so guilty. Please find enclosed $100, and there was a $100 bill in the envelope. Please find enclosed $100 to cover what I stole. Uh, The letter was anonymous. There was no signature on the letter, but down at the bottom there was a note, and the note said, P.S., if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) This morning we're talking about repentance. Repentance, and not the half-hearted repentance you see in that uh, little shoplifter story, but real repentance, because that is what today's passage is all about. It's about the realities uh, of repentance. Uh, We haven't talked about John the Baptist in a while now. We haven't talked about him since the end of chapter 1, but now as we get into Luke chapter 3, John steps back onto the stage. That miracle baby we spent so much time talking about in chapter 1, he's grown up. He's a man now, and that man has a message, and his message is that the Lord commands his people to turn from their sin. Uh, That was John's message in the first century, and it's still his message to us today. The Lord commands us to turn from sin. 
It's, it's here in the scripture. Um, we're going to look through, we're going to work through verses 1 through 14, and try to understand them together this morning. And as we do, I, I want to talk about the reality of repentance, because that is what I think John emphasizes in this text. Uh, what we see in his words is that repentance is intensely practical. It actually transforms human lives. And, and so that's why I want to talk about three realities, three realities of repentance. That's our outline this morning for those just to help us follow along here. We're going to talk about three repentance realities that every believer needs to accept and embrace uh, if we're going to follow Jesus. So Luke starts with some historical details, and it's very typical of Luke. So let's start with those, verses 1 and 2. Uh, and I'll read him again. Uh, he says, uh, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother, so he's almost drawn as a map here, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, uh, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, all of that is the setup for, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So Luke begins this chapter by putting uh, the ministry of John, and really, therefore, the ministry of Jesus. That's really where our focus is. But he puts John's ministry most immediately in historical context. And remember, this is Luke. He's, he's told us in the opening paragraph of the book that he's carefully researched all this. He's writing to this guy, Theophilus, to help him better understand the life of Jesus. And so Luke does it again. He gives, he gives us, um, he actually started chapter 2 the same way with a historical reference. Here's another historical reference. And this time he tells us about seven people, seven important people who were in power when John's ministry and therefore Jesus' ministry began. Um, he starts with Tiberius Caesar. Uh, Tiberius is really the most important one for us as far as setting a date goes. Uh, he tells us uh, John started his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Uh, that actually lets us date the ministry of Jesus. Now, there is a little bit of a, a difference in terms of how you, you uh, calculate the reign of the Roman emperors. They would kind of measure it. There were different places to measure it from. So we can't do like an exact date, you know, like, you know, we inaugurate presidents on, you know, January 20th of, you know, the, the year following the election. It wasn't like that with the Caesars, but it actually... To say the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, it actually lets us zero in pretty tightly on when Jesus began his ministry. And so it would be somewhere between the years 27 to 29, somewhere in that 27, 28, maybe early 29 AD, Jesus started his ministry. So actually that verse, you know, we just kind of fly past it, but it's a pretty important verse for, for dating these things we always say. We usually talk about Jesus being crucified in 30 AD. This is one of the passages we get that stuff from. Uh, so, so we got Tiberius Caesar. He, he helps us date the book. Uh, Luke mentions, or the ministry of Jesus, Luke mentions four other secular rulers. Um, two of them really aren't of interest to us, but two others will be later on, Pontius Pilate, Herod Antipas, uh, both important figures later in the book. Uh, he also mentions two religious leaders, Annas and Caiaphas, and they will become very important as we get close to the end of the book someday and uh, look at those, those men both functioned in high priestly roles. In Israel. So it's during their, their time. Those names, though, why do we talk about them at all? The names of those people remind us of something very important. And what they remind us of is that Jesus is rooted in history. Right? So there's an important function here in terms of Luke's book. It doesn't really have to do with repentance, this first little part, but it reminds us that, that this is true. Right? Luke's about to tell us, as we read through this book, he's going to tell us a lot of amazing things, miraculous things 
that Jesus did. But Luke keeps emphasizing to us, especially here in the early part of the book, that, that I'm not just spinning you a yarn here. This isn't just a, another fable or another myth. This is, this is history, right? I'm giving you the names of the people who govern. I'm telling you what years it was. This is history, Luke says. And so that's a, something we note as we're working through this. That's not his main point, though. His main point in this passage is to move on to the ministry of John, and, and we get that in verse 3. Oh, actually, so at the end of verse 2, he tells us uh, that this guy John that we met in chapter 1, he had a mission, and it was that he was a prophet. So he introduces us now to the prophetic ministry of John. Uh, where do we see that? It comes from this phrase, the word of God came. So in that year, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, the word of God came to John. That's an Old Testament formula. The same kind of wording is used numerous places in the Old Testament. You know that this man is a prophet because the word of God came to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel, to Dan, to all these different ones. And so when we see that language, we go, oh, we're talking about a prophet. This man is a, is a prophet. And so John is a, a prophet from God, which is huge. It's really a very significant thing to note because there hasn't been a prophet speaking in 400 years in the, in the nation of Israel. Uh, the next verse, as we get into verse 3, tells us what that mission was, what his mission is. And so let's read verse 3. Verse 3 says, uh, And he went, John, went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So that's verse 3. So John's mission, uh, we're told what his mission was. His mission was to call people to repent from their sins so they could be forgiven. That's John the Baptist's ministry. Uh, we usually think of John the Baptist as being all about baptism, hence the name, right? John the Baptist. Uh, and he did. He baptized people. He took them to the Jordan River, and he submerged them in water and brought them back up again. Uh, but the baptism wasn't the main point of his ministry. The main point was the repentance that the baptism symbolized. Right? And so John was calling people to repent, means to call people to turn from their sins. And so that brings us to these realities, these three repentance realities. Uh, the first one, repentance reality number one, is that repentance prepares us. Repentance is preparatory. It prepares our lives and our souls for God to work in, in, in us. It prepares us for God's work. Now, we see this in the early part here. So we see it in, in this connection, first of all, with the, the repentance and forgiveness. And so it's, it's the way the ministry is described to us in verse 3. So verse 3 says, John preached a message of baptism, of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. So John had this, this symbol, the washing in the water, but the washing in the water wasn't the point. The point was the baptism, or was the repentance that the water symbolized, and the washing that the water symbolized. But all of that was so that people could be forgiven. So it was a baptism of repentance for the purpose of, is, is the idea there, is the purpose of the forgiveness of sins. So God wanted to forgive people's sins. You see, there's something God wants to do for human beings. He wants to forgive us, right? Core part of the gospel, core part of why Jesus comes to earth. God wants to forgive us of our sins, but for that to happen, there's something that needs to happen. For God to forgive us, there's something that needs to happen, and it's that people have to want the forgiveness, and we express that want by repenting. That's, that's what you see. So, so it's, Jesus didn't come to earth and just kind of shovel repentance onto people who didn't want it. Repentance is God, repentance prepares us for the forgiveness that God wants to give. So it's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And so, so there's, there's that sense, which brings us to Jesus, right? And so John's ministry, and we learned this back in chapter 1 when we looked at the, the prophecy of Zechariah, John's ministry is preparatory for Jesus. And so the purpose of their repentance, so John comes proclaiming Jesus, what does he tell us to do? He tells us, repent. That's how you get ready for Jesus. You repent of your sins. And so he's saying, you're my, my ministry of repentance, calling people to repentance, John is saying, is, is preparing you for the work of God through Jesus Christ, his son, which is what we then get with the Isaiah passage. So if you keep reading, uh, verses four through six is a quotation. You're probably looking at some kind of Bible where it's set apart as a quote from somewhere else. The quote is actually from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40. So let me, let me read Luke's version of it here. So picking up in verse 4. So it, it's, uh, it, here's Luke's telling us, here's what John was about. He fulfilled this prophecy. Verse 4, as it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It's a ministry of preparation. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So we'll stop there. Uh, the passage comes from Isaiah 40, uh, one of the most beautiful passages in Isaiah. The whole book is beautiful, but that Isaiah 40 is, is a great one to read. Uh, early in Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, and that there's a prophecy there, and the words, it's the same wording as we get here in Luke. To understand that prophecy, and the words here in Luke as well, we need to know a little bit about roads. We need to know a little bit about ancient roads, because it's a, a prophecy that uses imagery from roads. So the ancient world uh, did not have, the, for the most part, didn't have the modern road systems that we're so accustomed to. In fact, most roads were just dirt paths. Uh, dirt paths, most roads. There were the, kind of the famous Roman road, roads, which were kind of cobbled, uh, paved, if you will, with cobblestones, and those were easier to travel on. Uh, but those, you know, th those weren't everywhere. Most roads were dirt roads. Um, think gravel roads, actually. So the, the, what we're reading about here, the imagery here, is the sort of thing we experience on some of the outlying roads in our own area. So we can kind of be like, yeah, I know what that's like. I've, I've driven on gravel. I know what that's like. Uh, and, and so here's what would happen is as people would use these dirt roads, they'd get beat up, right? Just like the weather does a number on our gravel roads. They, they would be, they'd end up with potholes, you'd end up with ruts. You'd, maybe you'd go through on a wet day and a wagon would leave these deep ruts and then it would dry and the ruts are still there. Those are your hills. So you got these valleys and these ruts and, and that's basically the idea. Here's what they would do. Um, most of the time, you know, you just kind of leave it, and we all kind of suck it up and live with it. But when someone important was coming to the town, let, let's say the king was coming to, village, to, to the village or to the city to visit, when someone important was going to come, they would go out and prepare the roads, which is the picture here. They would go out and they would fill in the valleys, those potholes. They'd take a shovel or a hoe and they'd, they'd rake it so that it was flat. And the, the bumpy places, they would rake those down and they'd use the bumpy part to fill in the holes. And, and they would make the road uh, flat and easier to travel because the king was coming. They'd prepare the road for the king because it would be awful if the king were to come and his, his, his cart broke down because he was falling into a pothole on, on your roads. That's what John is doing for Jesus. That's the image the scripture uses of what John's ministry is doing, this preparatory ministry. This ministry of repentance that he brought was to prepare the people for the ministry of Jesus. And I, I love how uh, the scripture does this. It's, it's, it's much bigger than just potholes and ruts, isn't it? 
It's valleys and mountains. And so you get this picture there of the largeness and the, the, the ugliness, really, of, of human sin. Now, human sin isn't just a little dip in the road. It's, it's a valley. It's a mountain that needs to be dealt with. And so you have this, if I can use kind of modern-day language, right? John's building a, a super highway of, of repentance to make ready the way of Jesus Christ to come, into, to come into the world and to begin to minister to these people. And so there's a lesson there, right? There's a lesson there that helps us understand the, the key function of John the Baptist and why was he so important? Why did chapter 1 spend so much time on him? He was this preparatory figure for the ministry of Jesus. But then there's also this principle in terms of how it works in our own lives. And the lesson for us is if we want the Lord to work, we need to pay attention to repentance. Repentance is important. Dealing with the sin in our lives is important. That's one of the key takeaways from the ministry of John the Baptist. You know, sometimes we, we get frustrated with God because he's not doing what we want him to do. Right? He's not acting the way we want him to act. He's not answering the prayers we've been praying. We want him to do this, and he's doing that. Or he's just, it seems like the heavens are silent, you know, that, that sort of thing. And we get frustrated with him. And there's different reasons that happens. We've talked about different ones along the way. We talked about some in Hebrews. You know, sometimes the Lord's doing a different thing. He's, you know, he's, he's teaching us patience or whatever. And, and, and there's nothing, it's nothing in us at all. But, but sometimes, I think what John reminds us of is sometimes when we're, we're going like this at God, the finger's pointed the wrong way. And the problem isn't something going on with him. It's something going on in here. The problem is, you know, maybe we have to examine and see if this is, 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 is true. See, I'm not saying every time we're frustrated with God and our prayers go unanswered. We're not saying every time it's because of sin, but we have to be open to the possibility that sometimes it is. Sometimes uh, there's some sin pattern in the way, some habit that we're giving accommodation to, something that we're repeatedly and unrepentantly going back to. What, what's the problem? We aren't leveling the mountains and filling in the valleys in our own lives. How do we respond to that? We respond the way the scripture says. We, we turn from our sin, which is what the word repentance means. We turn from our sin so that our souls are prepared and our lives are prepared. We're cleaning out the junk so our lives are ready for what the Lord wants to do in us. It's a repentance reality. It's one of the things we see in scripture. So that's number one. Uh, repentance reality number two that John teaches us is that repentance requires Honesty honesty. Repentance requires honesty. Uh, the Lord doesn't let us get away with a half-hearted or false kind of repentance. Uh, no, the, the repentance he calls for is a sincere repentance. And if we want to, to be in communion with him, we want to enjoy that relationship without those blocks of sin, then we need to repent sincerely. We need to be honest with God and ourselves too. I think you see this in our text in the warning that John gives the crowds. So there's this warning in verses 7, 8, and 9. So we'll get to that now. Uh, he said, therefore, right, so here's more of John's preaching now. Luke gave us the prophecy fulfillment. Now he comes back to what John was saying. John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. So John describes honest repentance two ways in, in that passage. 
The first thing he tells us about it is that real repentance, honest repentance, cannot be faked. We can't fake repentance. And I think that's what's at stake in verses 7 and 8. You read verses 7 and 8, it seems really harsh, right? I mean, it's like John missed the, the seminar on how to be more friendly to visitors and that kind of thing, right? I mean, shouldn't he be glad all these people are coming out to be baptized? No, instead he's calling them snakes, right? He says to the crowd, uh, you brood of vipers. Why does he say this? Why isn't he kind of greeting them with more grace? What, what, what's the, why? What, what's going on here? Well, I think the answer is that John is aware that some of the people, and, and I don't think, I mean, those who are coming with sincerity, I don't think these words are aimed at them, but, but some of the people that he's talking to in this crowd, the brood of vipers that he's addressing, they're faking repentance. It's, it's not real. This, and, and why do I say it? He, he says as much. He says, you haven't produced the fruits that are in keeping with repentance. So you say it's repentance, you've come out to be baptized, but you don't have the fruits of repentance. You're not actually repenting. That, that's what that means. Um, maybe some of them were there because that's what the cool kids were doing. Right? They just, you know, they kind of peer pressure brought them along. Maybe, maybe some of them were there because their spouse made them come. Uh, maybe some of them were, were hedging their bets, right? I mean, they didn't, they, they didn't really believe the stuff this John guy was saying, but just in case, just in case, I'm going to go out and kind of check them out, maybe even let them dunk me in the water, just in case there's something to it. I'm just going to kind of cover myself. A little bit like, I don't know if anybody did this, but you know, when the candidates would all come through, now we don't exist to them anymore, but when the candidates would come through, you know, sometimes you, you kind of like, well, I don't think he stands a chance. I don't think she stands a chance, but I want to go meet her, you know, <laughs> so that if she does, I can say I met her, you know, or him. Um, and, and it's a little bit, I wonder if it, some people weren't doing that. You know, let's go see the show. Let's go see what this John guy's doing. And so for those people who are coming with that kind of attitude, they're not there with sincerity. He, 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 he warns them. He says, that's not going to carry the day. Just showing up isn't going to carry the day. You can't fake it, he says. And, and there's, a, there, there's a warning we still need to listen to, right? It's, it's because that sort of thing still happens today. People who who participate in a church but aren't bearing the fruit of repentance. They're, they're, we're not changing our lives and allowing the Lord to change our lives. Um, I was reading uh, an example about uh, a, couple, a few days ago, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago now, um, about a, a woman who stole $200,000 from her church. She stole $200,000. And she actually worked for the church. It must have been a larger church. She worked as the church's financial secretary, so she was kind of like their bookkeeper. And she'd worked at this church for over 12 years, and during those 12 years, she used church credit cards for personal purchases. Lots of personal purchases. She, she paid her direct TV bill on a church credit card uh, lots of times. She, um, she bought jewelry, airline tickets, paid for a cruise. Uh, she went, took, took her family to Las Vegas, Disney World. She even used church funds to pay tuition for a degree she was working on to be able to get another job. And all that time... All that time, she looked like, here's the point, all that time she looked like a, a good Christian person, right? Someone you would trust with the church's money. That's why she had the job, right? She, she looked like it on the outside, but on the inside, she was a thief, right? On the, on the inside, she was stealing from, God, from God's work and from God's people. And the really scary part, why do I tell a story like that? The really scary part is that any of us could fall into our own version of that. Right? All we got to do is what she clearly was doing for 12 years, lie to ourselves. All we got to do is, is act one way on the outside while behind the scenes where nobody can see we're doing or thinking or living some other way. 
So there's, there's that piece of it. That's why he, he comes with these harsh words, this, this, you brood of vipers. It's that kind of a dynamic. The other thing John says here that points us to, to what does honest repentance look like is that we cannot borrow it. So we can't borrow repentance. We can't fake it. We can't borrow it. What do you mean borrow it? How would we borrow repentance? Well, uh, we can't, someone else can't repent for us is, is, is what's, what's at stake here. We cannot coast on someone else's repentance. Instead, the, the scriptures teach that each of us is responsible to turn from our own sins. We have to turn from our own sins and to Jesus for ourselves. And, and again, if you look at these interactions, he, he, we don't hear them say it. Instead, he just says they were saying it. Uh, some of them, clearly, some of these people who were coming out to him were depending not on repentance, not on any response to the, to the gospel or to God. They were depending on their identity as Jews. They were depending on their own identity as Jews for their forgiveness. We're, you know, we, we're children of Abraham. And you know, how, how dare you tell us we need to repent, John? We're children of Abraham, they say. We're all set. John says no. Right? John goes right after that in verse 8. He says, your connection to Abraham does not make you right with God. And then you have this vivid picture. He's standing on the shore of the river, right? God could take these rocks. God could turn these rocks into children of Abraham. That's, that's no big deal. I mean, it's a big deal because they're, they're his, his chosen people and the inheritors of the promises. But as far as your, your, your own salvation goes, being, being a child of Abraham isn't going to do it. You can't borrow Abraham's righteousness, he tells them. You've you got to repent of your own sins for yourself. That's still true. That principle is every bit as true in the, in the Christian age, you know, now that uh, Christ has, has risen. It's still true. Uh, you're not a Christian because your parents are Christians, or your spouse is a Christian, or your girlfriend or your boyfriend is a Christian. It, it doesn't work that way. Someone else can't become a Christian for us. Uh, you're not a Christian because you're an American. Right? A lot of people labor under this idea that, well, America is a Christian nation. I'm an American. I'm a Christian. Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The only way to become a Christian is to trust in Jesus and turn from your own sins. Each of us needs to turn from our own sins. And so that's this honest repentance. It's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. It's got to meet God's criteria, not just our own conception of it. And if we won't do that, then verse 9 has a warning for us. I called this section 7, 8, and 9 a warning. The, the warning part is starkest in verse 9. Uh, even now, John says, the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear good fruit, the fruit of repentance that he talked about a few verses earlier, uh, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so those who do not turn to God in repentance will be judged. That, that's the warning of verse 9. Uh, John says, uh, it's a very vivid picture. He says, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And it, it, I'm not sure if it means that someone's holding the axe or I, what I actually think is that the axe has been set there, right? So the axe is there next to the tree, which is a very threatening thing, right? If you're a tree and you look down, that axe is, 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 a, th is a threat, right? Because a good axeman or axewoman can take that tree down in a few minutes with, with an axe. And so in the Bible, especially in the Bible, that idea of an axe being put to the root or the trunk of a tree, it's a, it's a picture of judgment. Right? It's a picture of, of destruction. That's how it's so often used, and that's how it's used here. And so what John's warning us is, is, is there's a lot at stake. When we start talking about repentance in the context of Scripture, there's, there's a lot at stake. If, if we don't repent, then God will swing the axe of judgment, he says. 
all right? And, and we don't know the timing. God is very patient with us. For those, for unbelievers, he's very patient with people. For believers who harbor sin, uh, he's patient with us. He's always pulling us by, by his Holy Spirit to himself. But if we won't repent, uh, that axe is at the, at the root, he says. And so there's this warning that's there. And so what is he pushing us to? He's pushing us to, to repent, turn from it, right? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Don't, don't go through the motions. Don't fake it. Don't try to borrow it from somebody else. Our hope, our only hope is to humble ourselves and, and turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. That's, that's what that, that language is talking about. So that's repentance reality number, number two from this text. Finally, uh, the, the third repentance reality that John points us to is that repentance changes our behavior. It, it changes. And, and this is where it gets really practical, right? It kind of lands on this one. Uh, it doesn't just, repentance doesn't just change the way we think about things, it changes the way we live. And this is what John tells the different groups in verses 10 through 14. So let's pick up in that last part. Uh, verse 10 says, uh, And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? So they're cut to the, they're convicted. What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. So people were convicted. Right? John was a, he was a prophet. The word of the Lord came to him. He was a prophet. It was effective. And so people were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they realized he was, they, they needed to respond. Maybe some of them had been insincere. Maybe some realized they were unprepared for what God wanted to do in their lives. And so there's this response. What can we do? Basically, they ask for help. John, help us. What can we do? Uh, and he's happy to help them. He's very happy to help them. He's glad to help people turn from their sin. That's what God sent him for. And Luke actually gives us three examples. And I think that's how I would read this. These are just representative examples. I'll bet you other people asked him, and he gave them different answers. But, but these are the three answers Luke records for us, and I think they tell us what we're talking about here. Right? Because what you see is all three are really practical. All three show us that repentance from sin is, is, is practical. It changes things. And so the first group is the regular people. It's, it's plain old folk, right? Like, like us, the crowd. Uh, the crowd asks John, what should we do? And he gives a very a more general answer. He says, change the way you treat people. Change the way you treat people. Specifically, he actually, he doesn't use the word, but what he describes is sharing. He tells them to share. Uh, share what you have with those who have less. That, that's verse 11. He talks about a tunic. He says, if you have two tunics, uh, this tunic would be roughly equivalent to a shirt, right? This is my tunic today. Except uh, in, in that day and age, most people didn't have a closet full of tunics. Most people had like one or two, right? Common people, regular people. Clothing was more expensive. It all had to be handmade. There wasn't kind of the mass manufacturing we have. And so it took more time. So it was more expensive uh, in comparison. And so most people, kind of regular income sort of folk, would have one, maybe two uh, tunics, that, that outer piece of clothing. Well, John says, if you have two, and you know somebody who has zero... <laughs> give him one of yours. That, that would be repentance. When they say, what should we do? How do we respond to this message of repentance? He says, if you have two tunics, give, uh, and you see, you know someone who has zero tunics, share. Uh, he says the same thing about food. And actually, it's, it's in, 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 the, in Greek, it's, it's uh, plural. So English, we don't have a 
plural for food, uh, but, but Greek does, and it, it's, it's foods. And so what's the idea? The idea is extra food. Right? So he's not saying deprive your kids to feed somebody. He's saying if you have extra food, if you have more food than you need for yourself, and that's kind of the idea with the tunic. It's not that you're, 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 you're going to not have for yourself someone else. It's, it's that if you have more than you need, if you're in that position, share with the one who has not. That, that's what he says. Which I think in principle... Right, so the principle here about repentance is that repentance is more than just stopping a wrong behavior. It's also starting a right behavior. Right, so true repentance is stopping the wrong thing and replacing it with the right thing. And so in this instance, with this, these groups, uh, you know, stop being selfish and greedy, stop hoarding, but then also start being generous and kind. That's what you get with his response to the crowds. So, so it, and again, it's, he's not saying you can't have a tunic uh, or you shouldn't have food. Uh, but what it's saying is don't, don't be like this. Instead, be like this. Have that, that, that's what repentance looks like uh, in that example. He gives us two other examples so we don't get fixated on that one. Uh, the next two are both a little more specific. And so some tax collectors came to the ministry of John to be baptized. And, uh, and that's huge because these are guys who are on the outskirts of society because of the choices they've made. Uh, they ask John, how do we repent? Uh, he says, well, stop cheating people. Stop cheating people when you collect your taxes. Don't collect any more than you're required to collect. Uh, that's verse 13. Uh, I've, I've described this in the past, but just to refresh our memories, in uh, first century Roman, Rome, their practice was that they, uh, for taxation, was that they farmed it out. It was literally called tax farming. And they would, um, they would when, so when they conquered a far-flung, one of the far-flung places in their empire, they didn't send accountants from Rome or from, you know, they, they would just find people there who were willing to work with them. And they would hire these people as tax collectors, and these tax agents would be given a, qu- a quota that they had to fill, and then they could, whatever they could collect above the quota, they could keep for themselves. And it wasn't a very uh, transparent process, so a lot of the time the people being taxed didn't know what the quota was. And that's where the tax collectors could, could make bank, right? They could really um, extort money collect more than they were supposed to. And everybody kind of knew that was how the system worked, but there wasn't anything they could do about it, which was why tax collectors were so hated. Uh, they were, most people didn't like them because, for one thing, they were betraying their own people, because usually, you know, especially in the case of Israel, it was Israel, Israelites, it was Jews collecting Jewish taxes. But then on top of that, they would work the system a lot of times to, to make themselves rich at other people's expense. He says, stop uh, stop doing that. Stop cheating people. It's actually the same dynamic with the soldiers. The soldiers, when you say some soldiers came to John, don't picture your, your Roman legionnaires here. These aren't Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers, for the most part, aren't responding to the ministry of, of, uh, of John the Baptist. These are Jewish soldiers, and uh, Rome would also do this in most of their colonies. These are, uh, they would call them auxiliaries, right? So you got the Roman legionnaires there for fighting the big battles, keeping the peace locally, you just get locals, and you give them some weapons, not as good as yours, you give them some training, not as good as yours, and, you, and they work with you. And again, and we know that sometimes these, uh, these um, in-country police, these soldiers would abuse their power. 
they would use that. They would use that authority they had. There, were, there would be cases of extortion, cases of bribery, you know, a little kind of protection rackets would get set up. You, you, uh, you know, you pay us X amount of dollars, we'll make sure your shop doesn't get robbed, that sort of thing. And we actually, you actually have an example of this in Matthew. Matthew chapter 28 at the end of the book. Remember the soldiers who were so quick to take a bribe to lie about what happened? A lot of, a lot of scholars think those are Jewish soldiers who take a bribe. Sure, yeah, why not? That's what we do. And so John says to them, he says to the tax collectors, he says to the soldiers, he says, stop doing that. Stop cheating people. Start treating them honestly. Stop abusing people and using your power to take advantage of people. Start being fair and just. Change the way you live. That's what he tells them in verses 10 through 14. What does true repentance look like? It means changing the way we live. Sometimes we get kind of fuzzy on this issue, which is why it gets a whole sermon to itself here in this series. And we, we get fuzzy about what it actually means to repent. Right? We throw that word around, we talk about it, but, but we, we get a little unclear in our heads what repentance means. Uh, for example, sometimes people will, will think of repentance as simply feeling sorry. Right? As long as I feel sorry for what I did, as long as I feel bad about it afterwards, that counts. That, that counts as repentance. Or as long as we tell somebody about it, right? Maybe we tell a close friend what we did. Or maybe we even, you know, these days we, you know, we got some anonymous uh, social media handle and we go on Twitter or Reddit or whatever and we kind of tell people there what we did. You know, and that, that counts as repentance. Or we try to make up for what we do, right? Here's a, this one's a little more old-fashioned. We, we do something we know we shouldn't have done and then we try to make it up to God, Right? We give more, we pray more, we read some extra Bible passages. The problem is that none of those things are what the Bible describes as repentance. None of that is repentance. Feeling bad about something is called guilt, but it's not repentance. Telling a friend about it is confession, and we are supposed to confess our sins to one another in the right, in the right setting. But that's not repentance. Confession is not repentance. Uh, giving extra money, that's called penance. We don't do that as Protestants, right? That's called penance. That's not repentance. Biblical repentance means what we see in this text. It means we change our behavior. We stop doing the wrong thing by the grace of God, and by the grace of God, we start doing the right thing. And so if you're greedy and selfish, repentance means growing to be charitable and generous. If we're filled with lust, repenting means treating people with purity and, and respect if you're a gossip, repenting means learning to speak well of people and not listening to that news. If we're judgmental in our heart, repenting means learning to think the best of people, showing grace to people, and remembering that we're all sinners. On and on and on. That, that's the point. If, when we truly repent, we turn from our sins and we change the way we live. A few years ago, uh, a writer named Anne Lamott uh, compared repentance to an old TV show, an old TV show called Gilligan's Island. And I know it's an older one. Some of you are probably not familiar with it. If you don't know Gilligan's Island, it was a sitcom. It was a sitcom back in the 1960s. And it was the story of seven people, seven people who got marooned on a desert island, a deserted island. Uh, they actually went on a little boat tour in their little boat. You know, probably some of us can sing the song. Their little boat got caught in a storm and it ends up trapped. They don't know where they are. And the show would always open with a big picture of the boat on the, uh, there in the lagoon with a big hole in the side, right? There's this boat with a big hole in the side and so they're trapped on the island. Uh, one of the characters, one of the seven characters on the island was a man called the Professor. 
I don't know if he even had a real name. I don't remember if they ever said it, but he was just always the professor. And one of the gags in the show was that the professor could make anything. He was always coming up with fantastic inventions using almost nothing, right? He'd make a little radio out of coconuts and all kinds of stuff like that. He could make anything out of anything. Which brings me back to Anne Lamott's observation. This was some, something she wrote probably 20 years ago. It kind of goes in the file. Here's what she said. She said, A friend of mine told me mournfully the other day that he had lived his whole life like the professor on Gilligan's Island. The professor found time to fashion generators out of palm fronds and vaccines out of algae, but he never got around to fixing that huge hole in the boat so they could go home. Right? Right? And her point and mine, I'll piggyback on her, is that sometimes we do the same thing. We, we try to fix things in our lives. We try to fix our lives by fixing everything else in our lives except what really needs to be fixed. This is why repentance is so important. Right? We, we change jobs, we change cars, we change homes, we change careers, we change churches, we change marriages. We change all these other things when what we really need to change is, is what's going on in here. We need to, to deal with our sin, right? That's, that's the gospel, which is why we, we, we get into it here in chapter 3. It's, this, is not, this, is, this isn't kind of a sidelight. This is inherent to the message that Jesus is going to bring. The problem is in here. And what we really need to turn from, do is, is to turn from our sin and to start living the way God tells us to live. We, we need to take the message of John, and Jesus is going to come preaching it too, the message of repentance seriously.